My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Hey there, and happy Wednesday, or whatever day or night it is when you are hearing these words. This is Transmissions. Our guest today is Haley Four, who records under the Circa Desu and Jackie Lynn banners. Her latest album is called EO, and it's a stunning work of art rock bravado. In our 2021 year in review, a mammoth list of our favorite records from last year, which you can explore over at Aquarium Drunkard, Contributor Tyler Wilcox wrote, On EO, Haley 4 has pulled off quite a magic trick. She's crafted her most accessible, occasionally even poppy, effort yet without sacrificing one iota of her strange, fearless musical vision. No one sounds like 4. She possesses a 4-octave voice, and few artists are pushing as intensely as she is these days. And it was a real treat to sit down with her and talk about this new album, uh, the evolution of her Jackie Lynn persona, and uh, and some dangerous stunts. That's right, she started doing stunt work for her art with this project. Thanks for listening to Transmissions. Uh, We know you've got a lot of competition for your ears out on the internet, so we're honored that you've opted to listen to our program today. You can find show notes and miscellany at Aquarium Drunkard, and you can support the podcast by checking us out on Patreon. I'm at Jason P. Woodbury on social media, so please reach out. I love hearing from listeners, and I'd love to hear from you. You can let me know what you dig about the show, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. I'm all, I'm all ears. All right, so let's get into my talk with Haley Four, but first, a message from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check them out at betterhelp.com slash aquarium drunkard. Best way to think about therapy is to think about maintenance. We take our cars in for routine uh, tune-ups to prevent bigger issues down the road. You probably saw that analogy coming. We get annual checkups and go to the gym to maintain wellness and prevent injury and disease. We do chores regularly, uh, some of us at least, to avoid a giant mess of a house and gross bugs. Going to therapy is like all of these. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness, and it helps prevent bigger issues uh, down the line. Going to therapy doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. Better help is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera unless you want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Aquarium Drunkard listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp dot com slash aquarium drunkard that's b-e-t-t-e-r-h-e-l-p dot com slash aquarium drunkard 
Thanks, BetterHelp. All right, let's get into it. Haley 4, I hope you enjoy listening to this talk as much as I enjoyed having it. See you on the other side. Haley, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on the Aquarium Drunker Transmissions podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. So I want to make sure I say it right. It's EO, right? You got it. Yeah, see, because I, I read your listening guide. That was such a helpful situation. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that that was helpful for some people. <laughs> did you Did you enjoy putting that together? I did. I, I was nervous, you know, like... I, I'm not trying to control exactly how people ingest my music. That's up to them. Sure. But, you know, it just felt like such a weighty experience that it kind of garnered this, maybe a guide was essential to navigating it a little bit. <laughs> I think the guide was really helpful. And uh, and it's a nice thing. They didn't see, you know, the, the, your instructions, not instructions is the wrong term. Your suggestions were, were uh open-ended I felt you know it's like you can do them in your own way so it didn't feel like too like you like you were telling us here's how it, you have to and <laughs> have to experience this record but you're right it's a really weighty album so um it's also really incredibly beautiful and I've I've deeply enjoyed spending time with it oh shit thank you I appreciate that I wanted to start off by asking you a little bit about the drums because the drums on this record are so killer and so interesting. Um, the last Jackie Lynn side thing you did, Jacqueline, also great, great drums. Um, I'm curious, you know, do you listen to a lot of a lot of beat focused music when you're just uh, on your own listening to stuff for pleasure? It depends. I mean, I'm a big fan of Max Roach for sure. Mm. Um, I've also been listening to a lot of um beauty in the beast which is an album by it's on the tip of my tongue uh who's the electric pioneer who did the soundtrack for um clockwork uh, orange okay uh crap crap is it Wendy Carlos? Yes. All right. Bingo, okay. you win the prize. All right. Look, that's why this is that's why I make the big uh, music podcaster bucks. <laughs> but um, I, <laughs> I can guess. I can guess given a lot of clues and a really specific. <laughs> that's awesome. So you've been listening, but that I mean, also yeah, super rhythmic, right? I I, I hear a lot of Giorgio Moroder in the mix too. Cool. Cool. Um, which is awesome, which is awesome. Less so on, on EO, of course, but cause it, there's not like, it's not, doesn't have quite the same, uh, obviously the same kind of vibe as, as Jacqueline, but, but the drums are really incredible on vanishing and, and, and dogma, especially what, you know, what kind of intention did you want to bring rhythmically to this record did you have any thoughts on that because i mean it's easy to focus on the strings which are also amazing and of course your 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 voice but 
it really does seem like there's some interesting use of tension too in in the rhythms. I appreciate that. And that's very astute of you to consider. I mean, in the past, drums have been overdubbed last. And just mm. because I've recorded at home and drums are big and loud and everything else is much easier to capture in like a domestic setting. Right. Um, so this being my first official studio album, I some tracks I completely arranged. With Dogma, I did chart out um, the kind of, uh, circular tranquil rhythm that you hear and yeah Tyler Damon is who you hear on the record who is a very mm. spirited and like gestural player like very um, just filled with energy so um, I attribute the vanishing drums to him for sure yeah, yeah. yeah. um you Obviously, you had to do just due to the nature of when this album came together. Uh, you had to you had to really map it out a lot more than you have. Is, is this the most you've ever sort of had like a a plan going into a record? Absolutely. I mean, there were so many steps. It really felt like building a ship or something. Um, mm. Like there's the blueprint era, and then you get the materials, and you don't have all the materials you need. And right. you realize there's like miscalculations and, you know, the whole process was a solid 18 months of preparing certain steps and executing them with other people. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you, you mapped things out pretty extensively. You, you wrote the string arrangements, right? Yeah. I, this record is thoroughly composed, which means I wrote all of the horns and string sections. And um, yeah. there are a few discrepancies um like i said the drums on vanishing tyler brought in um sure maybe a couple other things like that but yeah it, i was steering the ship building the ship <laughs> um How, what it all. Was, yeah what what was that like i mean because i mean i you've obviously you're you're a prolific writer you know you you work on stuff all the time and you and you but you do collaborate a lot so i wonder it, how this one felt um given both the intensity of the emotions sort of behind it and yeah. Um, and then the intensity of the actual, just like workload side of things. I mean, I'll be honest. I've, I'm reclining now to answer this question on my couch. <laughs> because it's, okay. I mean, not to get too dark, but part of me thinks it's almost like a death drive where mm. at, at this point in my life, I hadn't been so like encumbered by my own inner world since I had first hit depression when I was 17 and that yeah. was a big learning curve for me. And it just felt like my insides were so weighted down. The only way to keep myself tethered was to try and challenge myself beyond my capabilities. And I do this with every record where I'm just overreaching. Um, <sighs> and I usually grow into it, but this time really felt like, uh, you know, it's really towing the line on that drop, like on the cliff, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, there's, you had a lot of, um, you were processing uh, very traumatic stuff, some really tragic situations, the loss of a friend. And I know as time, as the record kind of went on, 
uh, you started to sort of process the loss of your grandmother as well, if I have that correct. Mm, yes, yes. So, so you can hear that on the record because there are these like very, you know, there's some, there's some harrowing moments on the record and there's obviously some intense, you know, there's sadness in a beautiful way throughout the record. But the thing that really strikes me more than anything, uh, and this is not a quality that like every record has, is that it's also super valiant sounding and life affirming, like in a way that like a few records that came to mind, it doesn't sound anything like them. But I was thinking, I don't know what year it was, 2010 or something, Sun, uh, Sun O or Sun, you know, uh, they had that song Alice from the record Monoliths and Dimensions. And I like a lot of their stuff, but there was something about it that was like, oh my God, this is like, this is music about like how being alive is worth it in a way um, and feels so incredible and is something to celebrate. I hear a lot of that on this record. So I wonder when did that joy sort of start to emerge? Cause it sounds like it was also dicey and, and intense. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there is just an aspect to me and who I am as a person, but also my relationship to my work. And I mean, it's always been this way. It's really hard to really encompass, but yeah. I get in this fervor and like when I'm really hitting the mark with where I am in life and with my art it's intoxicating and there's nothing else in the world and I can just work for weeks at my desk, you know? And, yeah. And it makes everything feel worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you listen to this record, do you, do you like have that, like, I want to high five myself sense? Cause I mean, you should for sure. Oh, thank you. Um, there's two sides to that coin. In some ways, it's my proudest moment because I really do think it's a coalescence of like a lot of hard work in different areas of my trajectory as a musician, you know, project yeah. pr production, voice arrangement, all of that. But, you know, it's really hard to navigate the whole, like, this is lovely. I love this conversation, but the media and this other side, I make, I mean, I make non-populist art and yeah. it's getting harder and harder to, you know, be financially viable to kind of grow and have opportunities in this day and age and feeling yeah. that with this record, you know, it's like, this is not a Spotify like repeat album. And for the first time in my life, I have to kind of face that. So for better yeah. or worse, that's a part of this. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, geez. And what what a... I know that, like, musicians in the pop era, you know, whatever that is, in, our, in the, the era that we all sort of have come of age or exist in, have always had to deal with, like, these intense, like, economic... The economic side of things. But it's gotten so incredibly dire um, and so so much worse and and music has become devalued to such a shocking extent you know it's frustrating because when i hear something like this this record it's it's what it's what makes me like this is what is what i love to hear in music you know what i mean i love to hear somebody go so so far push themselves so hard and 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 create something that is like it's that's singular and is really you know honest and 
adventurous and all this stuff. It's 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 a drag to hear that like in addition to to all the work you put into it that there's this thing you have to process at the end of like well this isn't going to get put in like a playlist uh you know because what song is going to work not that I, I don't know I also wonder like wouldn't it be cool if this was the kind of music that was populist music um what kind of world would we live in I don't know I'm 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 probably veering into bizarre territory here but um I don't know well I mean I will admit that from my perspective, even over the last eight months, regardless of sort of this weird collapse of the infrastructure of the industry, like uh, the world can change so quickly and turn towards something you would never imagine. And yeah, yeah. Like the absurdness of, I don't know, is there even a central unit of pop culture anymore? <laughs> Not, no. not, not for me. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess maybe the Beatles documentary is as close as we get. I don't, or maybe that I'm probably <laughs> wrong. I mean, I work with a bunch of uh, people who are in their 20s and they did not watch it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not right there. But yeah, I don't know if there is something like that. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's like a, a bright... Uh, situation. That's like optimistic. <laughs> because, be, yeah, I mean... You mentioned the world could can change so quickly, so it is true that like it, things could things could be entirely different than the way they are right now, and it is important to keep that to remember that you know. And I guess that maybe speaks a little bit to sort of the optimism of the record, you know. Which I feel, I mean, I don't know. The word I keep wanting to use is like triumphant. I think I said valiant earlier, but that's how it feels to me. It's like such a yeah. Um, you started this one. To get back to the music side of things, the music, less maybe the music industry. Um, you started this one sort of more on on organ than than you normally write on guitar. Is that right? I do. Yes. But this one, you know, what was it about the the keyboard that sort of, or how did it how did it direct the you know what your writing was like? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I still did use my guitar for certain songs, but this organ that Cooper and I have in our living room, it's a Hammond organ. It's all tube transistors and mm. it's just there. It's you turn a switch and it works. And I had just gotten to that point in my depression and grief that I was really just horizontal a lot. And the idea of tuning a guitar, it's like yeah. way too much work. Yeah. And so just the simplicity of the organ, um, it just lent itself to me. It was kind of, you know, almost like an invitation. Like you can still do this. You can use me, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 So that was sweet. Like uh, sculpting the Exodus was probably the first song I started working on, but also the last to be finished. And I was on the organ. That's awesome. That video is nuts. Um, the video that I, so I didn't realize, I absolutely assumed that it had been sort of post-production, like green screened or whatever, but you actually, you actually trained in order to, to do the falls that are seen in, in the video. Is that right? I did. It was such a joy. I've, yeah, I've, re I've reached this part in my artistic life where I'm really interested in kind of living out these kind of very experiential actions and yeah 
this free fall was something I kind of became obsessed with, especially, you know, after pandemic, I was disassociating a lot and, you know, it was just mentally hard on everyone. And I've heard this cliche that, you know, feels like you're falling and I felt that for sure. And I just wanted to get to the bottom of it. And so I trained with a stunt master who has been in the Mandalorian and Chicago fire. And he does like crazy backflips and stuff. Yeah. So you learned how to do all those things too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Other career. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I think that we've got an exclusive. You're going to add stunt, stunt uh, actor uh, to your stunt performer to your resume. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, no, I was sore as hell after that day, just falling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So where, where did, where did you shoot it? And, and what was the like? Was it a big crew? How, what, how, how did you guys kind of put that together? Uh, the location was like this art gallery, kind of like industrial warehouse uh, called Silent Funny. And it's on this drag of Ogden or Cermak, very industrial. Hmm. And we did it on the roof. And um, yeah, it was two stuntmen. I had a production manager, a videographer and a photographer because we also captured the album art that day. Right, I noticed. I noticed that, and it's funny. We talked a little bit about the streaming thing, but on some of the streaming services, on Apple Music at least, the album cover is animated, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, check it out if we have. Uh, it's 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 pretty it's pretty cool. I think listeners should, if they want, they should pause our conversation and like watch the uh, watch the video <laughs> and watch the album cover for a while, then come back. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that just Matador throwing down on the. It was not cheap, so you know. I think it was our first Zoom meeting after they'd signed me and I turned in the record and they loved it. And they're like, what about the album art? And I was like, so listen to this. I want to jump. I want to jump off a building, you know, and I, yeah. I got to do it. I actually got to do the real thing. And they were just really supportive about it all. Made sure I did it safely, you know. That's so that's interesting that you I mean, it's interesting that you alluded to the term, you know, death drive. I don't think or maybe I'm maybe I'm fully off base here but that des- that desire to push yourself so so far that extended even to this when did did you know at some point while you were making the album that that was what you wanted for its visual representation before it was done or did it come after yes i even made a little paper mache doll of myself wearing the outfit and my hair and it was completely formed the same time the music was being written and i've never really had that sort of like visual marriage to my music before um so yeah i still have this like really raggedy looking (laughs) doll of myself that i can like kind of like tape up anywhere (laughs) wow that's awesome Uh, did when did so you knew then that the like orange was going to be the color that you associated which which comes from this the time that you had spent in florida the 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 sunsets, sort of that orange was what informed that to some degree? Absolutely, yes. I spent five weeks living in uh, Robert Rauschenberg, r- sorry, Robert Rauschenberg's studio and living quarters down in Captiva, Florida. And it was a very bizarre time for me, but I was on yeah. the beach. I had like a private beach and um, 
the sunsets were incredible. I mean, very long, big sky. And then after the sun would set, there was this almost like burnt orange that just sort of filled the sky and all the birds were settling in for the night and just a really sweet, heavy kind of time of day. Wow. Yeah, that sounds that sounds beautiful. I've I mean, having read interviews with you about this record, I know that you weren't you didn't have the best time in Florida. It wasn't like it wasn't entirely your vibe at that moment. No, it was very challenging for me. And you know, a big part of it um, outside of my own like personal turmoil or whatever emotional state. Sure. Um, you know, like, like you said, artists are so hungry and they're starving and that it was just such a juxtaposition of my waking life in Chicago, living in America yeah. as an artist. Like, yeah, it was such a wake up call. I was just fed well. And I had these gorgeous court living quarters and everything was yes. You know, like I want to take a piece of driftwood and like glue it to the ceiling. And there were people there on, on, on site that were like, yes, let's figure out how to do this. And then coming home in the lockdown, it was like, I was ready to try and like push the world into this beautiful place. And, you know, well, but you, you are doing so with, you know, now, but it's just, yeah, it's a long delay. It sounds like. I mean, makes you feel powerless. I mean, we yeah. are powerless totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and that and and but again that that like there's it feels like there's just such a like the intensity of of the music. It just I can tell how propelled you were by by what you wanted to do. So were you writing there when you were in Florida or attempting to write or or starting sort of like to sketch out what this thing would be? Yeah, absolutely. I was, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself and I was going to this special environment and I wanted to have the record done by the time I got there, to be honest. But mm. um, I did write quite a few songs that didn't make it on this record. I think I wrote like 30 songs. And wow. when I was in Captiva, that's when I kind of chose the songs and I did almost all of the arrangements while I was there. So I wasn't singing very much. But um, I was doing arrangements, and that is also when uh, the song Stranger, which is a song on the new record, came back to me as well, which was really sweet. That was something that you had written previously, or it kind of was recontextualized or something along those lines? Yeah, so Stranger is a song I wrote in 2015. In the last week that I was at Captiva, I had an art gallery show it was like something I made up and I made three action paintings while I was down there and each were like 13 by eight feet long. And I kind of, you know, covered myself in paint and threw myself around. And um, so those were on the walls and the other nine members came and like walked around. And then I did a performance of stranger for them because there was a piano there and I was like, mm. I don't feel like playing my guitar. And I played it and there was just, I mean, it was such a gorgeous moment. And um, Ajua, a friend of mine there recorded it and it was our last day and Ajua was on the beach and the sun was setting and I was running toward her and she was listening to that recording of Stranger. 
and I embraced her. And then I realized she was listening to me. We just started bawling. And that's when I was like, this song is alive again. I have to like bring the song back into my life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So sweet. That's incredible. Uh, How long have you done visual art? Just since the pandemic, really just since the, um, that residency, I had never painted before I got there. I just, I don't know. I wanted to like expel a lot of darkness I was feeling. So like running up and I don't know, throwing yourself against a wall is pretty cool. <laughs> so, so you're throwing against, throwing yourself against a wall and tossing yourself off buildings. This is like, yeah, this is intense, but that's amazing. Did you enjoy, I mean, have you continued painting? I have, but I'm pretty private about it. I mean, to be frank, Mm. I don't know anything about it. I'm not sure if it's that interesting, but it is really therapeutic for me um, just to work with colors and just sit in silence, you know? Yeah, yeah. Back on the, the topic of colors, you also, so the orange extends, you know, beyond the album cover. It's also just the co- the color you're wearing. Um, are you are you a fan of Laraji at all? Do you know Laraji's work? I do. He is incredible. Laraji is a really special person. <laughs> he's he have you have you ever have you ever interacted with him? Yeah. Um, yeah. A, f- a few times. And they were both really magical. Uh, we were playing a show outside at a cemetery once and it was torrential downpour and it was raining for five hours. And then him and Arjee showed up and there was a double rainbow and it stopped raining. <laughs> Whoa. Um, so, and was he wearing, was he wearing orange? Cause of he course. almost, yeah, he always does. Right. Of course. He's so handsome too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, as my frequency shifted toward this orange, I definitely thought of Laraji, but there's only so many frequencies. And... Oh no! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I certainly don't mean to imply anything along the lines of you're you're ripping off uh, Laraji's look. <laughs> um, but that that's awesome. We color is important to you. When we spoke uh, in 2017, we talked a lot about you know indigo. Um, do you tend to usually associate colors with your musical work um, in your head, if not necessarily on? on canvas or whatever? Definitely. I mean, I don't have synesthesia or anything like that, but uh, yeah, yeah, my, there's definitely, yeah. Colors are very important to me. And it just feels like, like when I was making this album and when I'm making any album, I just want everything to have intention imbued in it. And for this record, not only am I like always wearing orange in general, but I like changed all our light bulbs to orange as well. And, Hmm. you know we were living in in this hue and i'm lucky that i have i you know i've got a partner that is very open-minded and like up for it (laughs) yeah Um, yeah but colors i mean yeah they're potent (laughs) yeah it's like you're describing total environment like creating I mean, I know the record essentially, uh, I mean, that's what a record is to some degree, right? It's like you create a whole world for it, at least in your head. And hopefully, you know, the listener also is able to connect to it. But in this case, it sounds like you were not content to just have it be in your head. You wanted it to be in the, in the world. Uh, What, you know, how, since the record's been out, how have you seen that 
continue or has it continued you know that sort of desire to like do you feel like this is maybe a part of your process at this point it definitely is have you ever been to the dream house i've never been to the dream house but i know i know uh i'm familiar but could probably use a a recap uh, a recap of what it is um yeah, it's Lamont Young, um, and yeah. his partner Maria, and they have sort of like a permanent installation there. Uh, it's just like a house that's got a, all of this uh, lighting design that's fuchsia based, like reds and blues. Mm. And there's always a drone plane. And he sort of has these interns or like almost disciples that are there all the time. And you could go and just sit and I went there when I was maybe in my early twenties and I just think it was really formidable just to like, you know, it's almost like a gong bath where the yeah. frequency is really resonating your body and you're just in this hue for so long. It's like no other world exists and it's like a womb almost. Um, and it kind of just showed me like the physicality of music. And I just think a frequency can kind of bring that, 3d visceralness like to reality it's a very corporate yeah you know yeah that's fascinating and i mean space is another huge theme on the record you know stars and black holes and the sort of like vastness uh, but but matador did one of the coolest things i've ever heard of a record label do not only did they do your awesome video but they bought you a a star <laughs> he did I was so moved. Well, you didn't. So how, I mean, how did you find out that Matador Records had, had purchased a star in the constellation of Sagittarius for you? Well, I got an email from my manager and said, Matador wants to buy you a star. What constellation do you want it in? I got to pick the constellation. You know, they were like, basically like, we're buying you a ring, pick out the diamond, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it just means so much to me because like you said, I mean, EO, I consider it a place. And I do think that that is just a really utilitarian way to use music and put your emotions um, outside of you. And, you know, records have always done that for me where you go there and you, you know, you pass through your experience and you walk away lighter. And the fact that it is now a real celestial body in the sky like i feel like i just catapult all my shitty life experiences like up there and just keep walking or something that's so cool and that 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 notion you know of of frequency you know and that it can sort of (laughs) you can point the frequency to that star even you know it's like such a that's such a cool such a cool thing uh are you are you um on the topic of like space, like what, what's your, what's your, what's your relationship with outer space? (laughs) My relationship with outer space, I think it's faith based. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I'm having a kind of a bit of an existential crisis with faith. And when I think of space and when I learn about quantum physics, it, it opens up my mind creatively um, and also just kind of like wonderment <laughs> and it's, and it's not mythologically based or, or right. it's not based. There's no human narrative to kind of like 
fuck it up. Sorry, I've been cursing on this. I hope that's okay. <laughs> it's allowed. Yeah. All right. Well, well, yeah. But, but we're fine. But we're finding Matador. Each one. <laughs> each each one. I'll invoice them later. <laughs> but yeah, like there's 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 like a, I don't know. Feels like a solution or something like. You know the the notion that like. I mean, I I personally am uh, very. Um, drawn to the idea of inner and outer space being connected, you know, or being a part of the same sort of thing, you know, uh, because it's, it's all, it's all unknowable to a degree, <laughs> but also can be known in whatever, in various ways, you know, uh, we can learn a lot about what is out in the sky and I, and we can learn a lot about what's in inside of us but i for some reason they 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 feel like connected and they feel like we're almost like when we talk about space there's inner space and it's just helpful to have language to use and frankly examples you know of mm -hmm. stars that are named things uh i think that i don't know are you are you are you at all into you know science fiction or, or anything along those lines or or is that a part of your sort of engagement um yeah i used to be pretty into like you know philip k dick stuff um but you know what's the difference i guess between fantasy and sci-fi i mean technic i guess you know like hard sf fans will tell you that like there has to be like a like a, uh, like a scientific basis to the to the to the narratives or whatever. You know what I mean? So sure. like, so Philip K. Dick is like a sci-fi writer because they put his they put sci-fi on his on his um on his books. You know, so it's like uh, the, Thomas Pynchon should be sci-fi too if mm -hmm. if PKD is sci-fi or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Fantasy is maybe there's more swords in fantasy. <laughs> but there's swords in the space stuff too. Star Wars is full of swords, so I don't know. Star Wars is definitely a space fantasy. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, Star Wars is a space fantasy and Star Trek would be a science fiction show cuz they they make up stuff to say that like science was allowed us to do this or or whatever. In the new in the new Star Trek it's all about mushroom spore drives. That's how the spaceships get around. Very cool. Very it is cool. pretty it is it is pretty cool. So, but you so you used to be more into that stuff. I mean, I'm into like the Nova channel. You know that? I used to be on like Yeah, yeah. So you like you you're talking <laughs> you want you want like documentaries. You want like space docs. I want documentaries. I want mathematical equations. I want something that's going to make me feel like applesauce. Like I'm nothing. Like this yeah. problem that I have is the yeah, smallest thing consciously in a, like you know Yo, I yeah be, i want to be belittled by astronomy <laughs> <laughs> you want to be you want to be belittled by the vastness of space yeah yes. i mean it's impossible not to be and there is that's actually not a um yeah i know that that can really bum some people out but i mean that doesn't it doesn't sound like that's necessarily the way it works for you Oh, to me it just equates everything to a miracle you know <laughs> yeah yeah the, but, the fact that anything exists is is mind-blowing right yes absolutely you 
I have continued making records as as Jackie Lynn, but but the Jackie Lynn character has has changed some. Uh, in that you started off a little bit more with like a real defined origin, right? About this sort of drug dealer character, and then it, it feels like in the second record, did that continue on in less overt ways, or did you sort of you know re remold the character to fit a new thing for you? Yeah, Jackie Lynn, I mean, without revealing too much, kind of mirrors like the business side of my life a little bit. And the first chapter, it's like a woman comes to town and she's kind of on the scene and upsets the scene and she's amazing. And then, you know, Jacqueline, it's like she she's a woman that is like kind of on top, but it's, she's also isolated and she's driving on a highway by herself a lot. And Mm. there was something like very iconic to me about a female truck driver, something I've never really seen. Um, I don't think I have either. I also um, was just interested in sort of like the culture of being a truck driver um, how did you? How did you? How did you learn about truck driving culture? Is there a truck driving channel too? No, not that I know. <laughs> there probably should be. Um, but being, you know, when you tour a lot and you're on the road a lot, which I was coming off of that when I wrote that album, Jackie, yeah. Um, man, it's I a mean, lot. Lot of parallels. <laughs> yeah, truck. I mean, the truck drivers are, are the gods of the highway and they're also sort of they have no identity <laughs> um, yeah right and, i mean because your experience with them for the most part i guess if you're at a gas station and somebody's fueling up you might get a glimpse but your most common engagement is just like trying not to get run over by one of them <laughs> exactly yeah and they're doing long like a long-haul trucker isn't that dissimilar from a touring musician like weird hours staying in cheap hotels and you know, going from one, being a stranger in one town and to going to another city and being a stranger there, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. With a very defined purpose for the way it's working, you know, like you, I saw you, I don't know if it was the last time you played Phoenix or if you've played since, but I saw you at, um, I want to say the Lunchbox a couple years ago. Um, and it was such a great show. Do you have you had a chance to play uh, some shows in support of this record? For Jackie Lynn, I have not, and you know it's a band. We've like we've kind of reconfigured as a band, and it's expensive and hard. And you know, I'm not keep I'm not holding my breath, I guess. But I I love the opportunity to play a live show. So yeah, how about how about for for EO though? Have has there been some some shows for that? Yeah, I've done two shows in support of EO and they were huge. They, I mean, the one in Chicago is with a 14 piece uh, ensemble and the one wow. in New York is with a seven piece string ensemble. And it's cool. It's really fun. It's a lot, you know, um, I'm it- the one directing it all, so. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a lot of people to direct too. I mean, I'm sure the fact that you had things mapped out so much, do you feel like that prepared you for the task of of marshalling a band? Although the you have to then also perform, which is a different thing. 
Yeah, it's definitely a role I've grown into, you know, and I do think it's kind of hilarious that I kind of set myself up for this, maybe subconsciously on purpose, you know, it's, it's very, I, you know, it's a very inward record for me, even though it does sound huge. And I was very isolated in when I made it, but I, I can't play any of the record without at least like eight people on stage, you know? <laughs> right. Cause it's like, it's, yeah, it's not just a, you with a guitar singing these songs, I'm sure it would be a very cool thing and could be a very like interesting way to present it, but it wouldn't be the same as the record at all. It wouldn't be, it'd be cut from a different cloth. Yeah. And I mean, it's uncomfortable to stretch yourself, especially the older you get, but I'm, I'm here, I'm trying and I'm grateful for it all. <laughs> how do you, how do you, when, when you're on, you didn't tour necessarily with all of these people because the shows were one-offs, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm being very cautious with COVID as well. Like I kind of right. uh, scheduled them apart so that if someone did get sick, you know, they sure. have to cancel and all of that. Um, but in the future we are doing, so the, basically I travel with a core band and then there's a symphonic appendage in every city and I meet them like four hours before the show and we do a run through and then we do the show. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so cool. I mean, does that, you'd probably, I mean, you sort of have to just throw yourself into it, right? There's like almost no time to question whether or not something is or isn't work, right? You're just like kind of just diving in. They're pretty well-practiced, I'm sure. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, that's just the, all the preparation, just being very explicit with my language and sheet music. And I mean, yeah, we're going to be performing at the Pompidou with like, I don't know, some national concert violinists and stuff in, in April. And I'm, I mean, I'm pinching myself. I, I'm, I'm like a <laughs> DIY Americana experimental musician growing into like this dream that I've always had. <laughs> yeah, that's so, so cool. Um, and the strings are, I mean, I said earlier that I wanted to talk about the rhythms because the strings, you know, but we can talk about the strings too, because they rule. Um, and there's just really intense moments and just such beautiful moments and uplift. And in a weird way, I found myself thinking a little bit of like some of the string orchestrations on Lee Hazelwood records. I don't know if that's at all a, a reference point. Uh, where, where, when it comes to sort of the symphonic side of things, have you ever played music in uh, that kind of format? Uh, where's your interest in that sort of centered? Um, well, when I was in college, I went to college twice, but the time I went for something I was meant to do <laughs> was for... Um, <laughs> Okay, so I, I first went to college for nuclear engineering and I flunked out and then had some weird years and went back for recording arts and ethnomusicology. And during that time, their um, whole entire musics, um, like all the operas, their whole programming was student run. So I was basically the engineer, the person in black, like putting down cables and miking up all of this, you know, the symphonic orchestras and the operas at Indiana University for three years. And 
I do think that seeped into me, you know, I wasn't, yeah. I, was, I was on the other side, but I spent hours listening to this kind of stuff. And um, even being like an archivist at the music library, you know, just spending hours listening to classical records and um, all sorts of stuff. And it makes its way back out of you eventually. Yeah. Yeah. What, when you were approaching the individual songs and you were writing, were, were the string charts like kind of, uh, I'm phrasing this question poorly. Let me, uh, let me attempt to do this. Uh, so I assume you finish a song and then, you know, the sort of the string, you then write the string parts or were you sort of hearing really specific stuff in your head while you were working on the songs is where I'm trying to ask. <laughs> yeah, it was the latter. It was like, wow. I'd be like doing the dishes and then this whole entire kind of like eight piece, I don't know, run would come into my head. And then I, I used Sibelius and I, I, I have some, not very much experience with it. So I'm just dropping in like a note by note with a little mouse and waiting till I figure out, you know, the translation that's in my brain. And it was not common. That has not happened to me much in the past. And it's a weird feeling. Like I felt almost like not hungover, but like a hollowness in my, like a headache. Like I just would have a headache until I, until got you figured, these parts out. <laughs> yeah. What's the, what's was so that's a program that you use? Uh, yeah, Sibelius is a pretty cool program on a computer where it looks like sheet music, and you can just like drop in a note, and you know it's fully staffed. You can add up to sixteen instruments and write your own little arias and stuff. It's very and cool. And then and then it'll play like a like a sample or something. Exactly, yeah, like a MIDI sound. Whoa! Someday you can you'll have to release like the MIDI version. They sound terrible, man. You would not <laughs> <enjoy>. <laughs> I mean, and like uh, I'm ta I'm talking like when we're doing like the 25th anniversary reissue of this record or whatever. Like that'll be on the in the bonus materials, you know. Like, like my Beatles doc is just footage of me in front of my computer pressing buttons. Yes, yeah, it's, it's 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 eight hours of you. <laughs> <laughs> you pressing <laughs> pressing buttons with a headache. <laughs> yeah, and my headphones are on, so you can't even hear what I'm hearing. You know? Yeah, exactly. No, it's just very quiet. Yeah, that'll be the. I mean, that's 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 that'll be the next step. Is like you getting into like slow TV. Um, <laughs> you know, I I'm sure that there's <laughs> sure somebody would watch it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm a fan of slow TV. I mean, it's cool too, just to. You know, I didn't really use that many resources writing the record. I used a lot to record it, but sure, sure, it's cool. You can like write your own little symphony with a laptop. <laughs> so you're like, yeah, I'll just write. I'll write these like symphonic parts. I'll produce the record. I'll jump off things. You know, you're like, there's a there's a lot of you put into this record, and it's it's really remarkable, and it's 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 really like it's exciting to hear as I went back and kind of listened through all the stuff and sort of charted, you know, the, your trajectory, I mean, it's just, it's kind of mind blowing, you know, because the records were good right away and they're super interesting. And, but then like to hear an artist make a step like this, it's like a, it's a very exciting, it's a very exciting thing from this side of the speakers to like, 
to to hear you to hear you jump like I thought reaching for indigo I was like this is so so good this is probably the best record you know that that you're gonna make not that's I don't mean that in a mean way <laughs> I mean that in sure. like a I just dug it so much I was like wow it's gonna be hard to top this one but then I don't know the trajectory has just been really inspiring to watch thank you so much Jason that like it's really helpful to hear that it means a lot to me and yeah this isn't our first rodeo together and I <laughs> it just means a lot to hear yeah that you've been there and you're enjoying it and it makes it all worth it you know well that's yeah I certainly wasn't fishing for that but I do appreciate it deeply as well because uh in this bolt yeah yeah, it's good to tell people when you enjoy what they do, I believe. That's one of my favorite things that this podcast allows me the the privilege to do is tell people who whose work I dig so much that I dig it. Yeah, it goes far, especially this day and age. I don't know, hearing a human voice say something nice about you. It yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well before before I let you go, I did want to mention one more thing. Um doing my sort of like scan through everything and listening about uh i came across your your hot your i'm on fire uh cover which was like pretty early i mean that was that like 2011 2011 (laughs) so this this podcast is going to air early in 2022 but yeah 10 years ago as of the time we're recording our, our talk uh that's so gnarly and so cool and so to me, it pointed at the kind of expansiveness that, you know, that you now hear on, on EO as well. Um, is that a particular song that you dig? I'm on fire. Yeah. No, I thought it was totally patriarchal and insidious and weird. And that's why I covered it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so it's, well, you bring such a different, I mean, obviously a different when, so yeah, did you use the word sinister just now, or did I just hear it in my I head? Said, well, I said insidious. <laughs> insidious. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so it was. Was it fun to sort of step into that sort of like creepy, creepy mode? Oh yeah, I can fly high in creep mode. I mean, no, it, it was. Yeah, it was really powerful to to like sing those words and kind of embody it with a different energy. And yeah, I, I felt like it was calling me to do that and. I mean, I'm interested to hear it too. <laughs> I haven't listened to it in probably eight years, so I uh, pre- appreciate it. <laughs> it was really, really cool. I was like, "Yeah, this is so, this is so cool." I do like the original, and I do. I don't. I don't think I could argue with you on the lyrics at all. But um, uh, he's got better love songs, thankfully. Uh, less, less patronizing ones, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe age appropriate. Like we. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's the funny thing about listening to music from i mean that's 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 like 80s but uh i was gonna say you know like listening to like beach boys records where everybody's singing about being a teenager and they're like 40 you know it's like i love this stuff but there's definitely times where i wonder like is this <laughs> is this weird is this weirder than i realize yeah I mean, yeah, I used to get really like, not get off on it, but it just like amused me to do that kind of stuff. I remember trying to convince Bill Orcutt, we were doing this like, like kind of standards 
uh, improv show and I really wanted to do baby it's cold outside yeah. just because it's so <laughs> weird and gross and yes. I, I couldn't convince him, but like the same sentiment is there. It's like, just recontextualize something that's absurd and it will, it'll serve the purpose itself. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And it's interesting the way he approaches standards it can be so oh. revelatory and so mind blowing. Uh, it just these like really simple chords, and he just takes it to outer fucking space. Yeah, it's it's yeah. that's awesome. Bill's a genius. I'm such a fan. Well, we'll have to anyway. do. We'll have to do. Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Aquarium Drunker Transmissions listeners, you can look back in the archives. There's a Bill Orcutt interview uh, in there from a few years ago. So, uh, but with that said, Haley, thank you, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed speaking with you, and it's been uh, a lot of fun spending time with this record. Likewise, take care. Bye. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce Transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Visual designed by Sarah Goldstein. And our show's executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard founder. Don't miss his Aquarium Drunkard show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Sirius XMU. And do tune in to Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard, which airs every third Sunday of the month on Dublab. It's available uh, in their archive, all of our past episodes. And uh, our Patreon supporters get access to individual broadcasts from the, uh, the radio shows. Find us on social media and Patreon, and of course at Aquarium Drunkard, only the good shit since 2005. If you dig transmissions, please consider giving us a rating uh, or a review or just clicking subscribe wherever you listen uh, and do spread the word. We'll be back next week, uh, next Wednesday, with occult scholar, author, and speaker Mitch Horowitz. It's a real great talk. I hope you'll tune in to that. Find me at Jason P. Woodbury online and do check out Aquarium Drunkard. We've got interviews, mixtapes, radio specials, all sorts of stuff over at the site right now for you. All right, we'll be back next week. Transmission concluded. <laughs>